0: It is a, an emotional day for many people. I don't know if you're a, if you're a social media uh, rat, so to speak, but I would imagine uh, if you are, you've seen a lot uh, of things today uh, regarding the 15th uh, anniversary of 9-11. And uh, just in thinking about everything that goes into that, it's significant. Uh, it's emotional. Uh, you may have known somebody uh, who who died? You might have known somebody that was around the area or in the city, or rushing um, to help those in need. You might have seen some some disturbing photos or challenging footage. Uh, it's one of those moments where all of us remember what and when and where you were when it happened. You remember where you were? I remember where I was. I was getting ready to take an accounting test, Lipscomb University, and. Um, I was watching it in my frat house uh, with some of the other guys in my fraternity. And what we want to do this morning uh, as, we, as we begin uh, the message today, it may feel like a, a sharp right-hand turn, but we want to take a moment and be sensitive to just where everybody is with that this morning. And we want to pray for our country because there, there, are, there are significant moments where, like now, where it's worth taking a moment to stop to pause and to pray and to look to God. So we're going to do that today. Amen? Father, we thank you that you are a God that helps us in our time of need. And Lord, we thank you even as we look back over the course of 15 years, God, the tragedy, the attack on American soil. God, we We, in the same breath, can also, in a strange way, God, give you praise and thank, uh, give you gratitude for what you've done, even in the midst of those ashes. God, you truly have taken beauty from ashes. God, those that have come to faith that didn't know you. God, families that came together, departments that came together, people that came together to serve for the greater good. And God, even in this moment, Lord, we pray for continued healing. God, especially for those who lost loved ones. God, we don't make light of it. We ask that you would be with them even now. God, healing their soul, bringing life to them. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that does for you and I and for our nation is it brings people things into perspective doesn't it and today's message is you know we're, we're in a new series called dear future me and the whole idea behind it is if you could send yourself a message 10 years from now 15 years from now five years from now even a month from now what would you say what would you tell yourself what would you remind yourself and there are moments like 9-11, that remind us of what is true and remind us of what is important. Interestingly enough, when you look at what people have responded in regards to dear future me, if they've done it for a school assignment, if they did it just because, when they think about it, I did a Facebook poll and everybody was weighing in on it and throwing in on it. and Some of the most significant responses were those of Wanting to remind themself, themselves, themselves, remind themselves to be thankful, to be grateful. It's interesting, isn't it, that we have to remind ourselves to be grateful. We have to remind ourselves to be thankful because we do not naturally bend that way. That when you think about sending yourself a message, you gotta say, hey, bro, or hey, sis. <laughs> Doesn't sound the same, does it? It's not right. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what God's done in your life. On average, the the average American person complains about their life 20 to 30 times a day. Ouch. The total amount of time on average that you spend whining and complaining and grumbling about your life, myself included, is between 8 to 10 minutes of every single day. That is spent purely doing this, Ah, life, boo, boo, my life, woe is me. Amy Hubbard preached last week and and, and she gave the little carabiner reminder for you. And one of the things, the the verses, Proverbs 15, I think 15, that, that just stuck with me, it's not even a part of the message today, was on this idea that those who are, who are carrying woes with them, who despise the day, who are despondent, guess what continues to follow them? Difficult things. Things to be upset about. Things to be complaining about. Things to be whining about. Things that always feel like hardship. Always. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing when you find somebody that's bitter, Guess who you can find right next to him? Somebody else that's bitter. Bitter people love bitter people. But you know what? So do complaining people. And I've got to tell you, this message, it hurt me putting it together. Because to be really honest, as, as, as one of the pastors in this church, I've got to be honest. I've complained too much this year. I don't like that I've whined too much this year I was using my phone uh, just this weekend and you know I have my little banking app on it it's amazing technology right And while I know it's rare for people to have an accumulation of checks these days, I had like four or five checks that needed to be deposited, and the day was busy, there was a lot going on, so I thought to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take advantage of the gift of technology that my bank has provided me, and I'm going to mobily, mobily? I'm going to deposit, what's wrong with me today? I'm going to deposit these checks from my mobile device. It's amazing. So I had them all lined up on the kitchen table and, you know, I pushed the little feature button so that I could take pictures and I wasn't going to have to go to the bank. I wasn't going to have to drive up to the ATM. I wasn't going to have to have any human contact at all. It was amazing. And like that, it'd be done. And sure enough, it's all lined up. The kids are away doing their thing and I'm trying to use my phone and it's glitching and every time I go to take the picture, it's taking the picture too fast and so it's blurry and unfocused and and lopsided and the app is telling me you're not doing a good enough job getting the checks in the spot where they're supposed to be. We cannot read your check and by the fourth or fifth time, I was ready to have all of my bank's technology buried in the depths of the ocean. For all eternity. You know what I'm talking about here because this little moment had the capacity to make me so frustrated to be complaining. And here I am checking my account balance on my bank account from my phone. I cannot believe I cannot scan my checks and send them digitally to a satellite thousands of miles away to be beamed back down to my bank in record time. My life is terrible. (laughs) See what I'm getting at here? Now, there are things to be legitimately frustrated about. Oh, but there are so many things that have the capacity to make us (laughs) whine and complain and grumble that, frankly, are insignificant. Paul has something to say to us this morning. He says, he says it like this in, let's see, Philippians chapter 2. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That sounds good. That sounds nice to shine like the stars, to not be grumbling. And as soon as this message is over, you're going to get in your car, and I guarantee in about five minutes, you're going to have something that you're going to have to make a decision about whether or not to complain or whine about. You can't agree on where to eat. Why did we even go to church today? God, are you real? The number one way to strike up a conversation with somebody The easiest icebreaker, statistically speaking, is to open it up with something that you got to gripe about because people love to talk about things that bother them more than anything else, food that they don't like, a movie that they thought was bad. (laughs) I I do this guilty. I've talked about kale a lot. I don't like kale. But Jesus is redeeming my heart, (laughs) making me new. Do you see the challenge here for us as people to not be grumblers and not be complainers and not be whiners, but to be thankful and to have hearts filled with gratitude? The shift is massive. And it's as simple as you making the decision. Paul says, he writes to us about not grumbling. This is a guy that had been stoned. This is a guy that has been whipped. This is a guy that has been chained to a wall, put in prison, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes in pursuit of the gospel and seeing people one to faith. He's been left for dead outside of the city. He's been friendless. He's been hungry. He's been cold. He's been every kind of terrible situation you can possibly imagine and he is reminding us not to be grumblers and not to be complainers. Paul has some pretty serious street cred when he is reminding us Not to complain. Think about the things you complain about. I'm single and I don't want to be. I'm married and I don't want to be. My kids are driving me up a wall. My job isn't paying me enough. My boss drives me crazy. My house is too small. My house is too big. My mortgage payment this. My car payment that. It's hot in here. It's too cold. The church isn't growing fast enough. God, what's wrong? Come on. These murals, (laughs) these curtains, this TV that's not quite level, it's off by like an inch. Yeah, I know some of you saw that. (laughs) There's a screw coming loose in the back. Praise God. There is always things. There are always things to be complaining about. And we, make, we can laugh about it. And the reason we laugh about it is because we know we are guilty, every single one of us. And God doesn't find it to be a laughing matter. Even though we can laugh, because we know, oh, gosh, guilty is charged. God doesn't find it so. Look how he treats grumbling and complaining in Scripture. It says, now the people complain. This is the Israelites. They complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. There's your first mistake right there. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. It goes on and on. These people were grumbling. They'd been rescued from slavery. They'd been crying out to God day and night for him to rescue them. And he sends a deliverer, and that deliverer's name is Moses. And Moses confronts Pharaoh, and the Israelites are, uh, over the course of time, they're set free, and Moses is leading them to the promised land. And things aren't as honky-dory as they'd like them to be. And so they're they're grumbling and complaining, and their literal complaint after asking God to move for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is their complaint, is God, we should have just died in Egypt. A place where we were slaves would be better off than where you've taken us now. And when Moses and Aaron begin to try to curb the people's complaints, you know what they do? They begin to rally up a mob to stone their leaders to death. Because it sure feels good to grumble. And it sure feels good to complain. And life sure was better back there, wasn't it? Even though it wasn't. And so God in his anger burned through the camp. Now I have never seen God's righteous and holy fire. I don't really want to. And we see throughout Scripture even people dying at the hands of God's judgment because He dislikes complaining so much. And yet we make it a part of our daily life. So much so that when we meet somebody for the first time, it's easier to talk about something that just stinks in your life than it is to talk about God's goodness, something great, a nice pair of shoes, a nice thing that you ate, a great movie that you saw, the winds and the celebrations. But no, in our in the darkness of our hearts, even though we're redeemed and made new, we love to complain. when I was pastoring our High Point Church in Orlando, there was a real ministry crisis that took place in our church. And I won't go into all the details, but but understand, it's the kind of thing that could have wrecked the whole church. There's so much pain and hardship and hurt over it. And I was so frustrated And I was, here I am, a pastor trying to lead people, and there was just this bad attitude in my own heart, grumbling, complaining, and yes, whining. And I was driving my nice cherry red Dodge Stratus at the time. Yeah, baby. I was styling profiling in that thing. And this person who had basically risked the church, who had been deviant, who had been wicked, I said out of my mouth to God, God, I wish this guy would just get hit by a bus. And less than a minute later, I was hit by a bus. Took the front end of my car off. And I got out of my car and I literally did one of these. Because in a moment, God had reminded me number one, to shut my mouth. If I'm going to call myself a Christian, that I should always be as hard as it is at times. I should be. Believing the best. I should be praying for God's best. And the last thing I should be doing is just fanning the flame of negativity, of grumbling and complaining. And the last thing I should be doing is pronouncing judgment on somebody. And I didn't really mean it. I didn't want them to literally die at the hands of a bus, but it didn't matter. No sooner than the words came out of my mouth than a bus came and took the front end of my car off, and I got out and I said, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Thank you for sparing my life, and forgive me for grumbling against you and your people. There was a doctor that was just recently interviewed who had lots of kids and all of them were engaged in church. This is, they're, you know, they're, they're married now. They're in their 20s. They're in their 30s. And the doctor, I forget his name, was interviewed on what and how, what did they do to raise an entire family to serve God and to love him and to worship him. And not only were they not dinged up, they were all engaged in different churches around the United States and, and loving God. And they didn't have much to say on what they did in their parenting skills except one thing. They said that, that the husband and wife covenanted together to never complain and grumble about their life, about their church, and about their relationships in their life in front of their kids. There's power in that. here's my question for you. We're gonna be taking communion here in just a moment. But rather than just blasting you with, stop complaining, although there's truth in that too, I wanna give us some action steps on becoming the kind of people who grow as men and women of God, whose words honor God and glorify God and I realize for many of us, this is just, it's habitual. And so there's a part of this that just simply has to be broken. And you've got to learn to do different things and new things and say different things. Colossians three fifteen through 16 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through songs, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. <laughs> if we want to be the kind of people who honor God with our words and our attitudes, then we need to take this to heart. And we need to let the peace of Jesus Christ not just hang out, but rule. Think about what it means to dwell, which is, which is what the... You know what? I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. What does it look like for God's peace to rule in your life? Think of all the things that you don't like. Many of them are in regards to someone else telling you something you don't like. A boss, a professor, a parent, a spouse. And it's no wonder that when we talk about the peace of God ruling your heart, we don't naturally like it. But it is the only way to truly walk in freedom And to walk in the kind of attitude where you cannot be a grumbler and complainer, but someone who gives glory to God. The kind of person that when someone else is around you, they walk away and they just say, man, I like that guy. I like being around that person. They just make me feel better. It's amazing when you edify other people, when you encourage other people, when you speak life to other people, and when you let God's peace rule in your life, meaning he's the boss, meaning when you get in your car and can't agree on where to go eat, Jesus rules that conversation, and you do not have permission to be a whiner baby about it. And neither do I. All the things that might frustrate you or frustrate me. I don't have a permission slip to complain and grumble about it. What I have is God's admonition to be like Jesus and to speak life and to be thankful and to be filled with gratitude. The other thing that the word says right there in Colossians 3, this is the same guy who we just spoke of is to be thankful. I love how he writes it. It's like it's a defining characteristic of you and me. There's no conditions here. This is who you are. If you follow Jesus Christ, God has defined you as someone who should be thankful. And so become that. Be that. It's not an option. We can't allow our life to happen and decide whether or not we're going to be thankful in the given situation that you find yourself in. You'll find yourself grumbling and complaining if you allow life to dictate your attitude. And then lastly... You want to be thankful you want to be gracious filled with gratitude and you've got to be someone who lets the word of God the message of Christ dwell in your heart not kind of not a little bit but richly it pains me and Wes already mentioned it once today telling you right now, I'm I'm preaching to myself, even as I'm preaching to you. There's a poverty of scripture in our hearts. The message of Jesus. Most of us treat this message kind of like a, a, a Almost like when you go to the mailbox and you grab some coupons out of it because they send the little value pack to you all the time. And you'll go through it. You might find one that you like, and every once in a while you'll save that thing, and you'll put it someplace, and you can hardly remember even where you put it. And it rarely ever gets used, even when you go to the place where you need to use it. And so it just sits, collecting dust. That's how we treat Scripture, it's just kind of this optional thing that you know, well, let me flip through this thing and I'll kind of find something that feels good and looks good, and then I'll, I'll take it and I'll put it over here for that rainy day. But the rainy day never comes, and you never remember to look at it in the first place. But Jesus reminds us, Paul reminds us to let the message of Jesus dwell in us richly, to dwell, to live. There was a day when you used to call the place where you lived a dwelling because you'd lived there. It was your dwelling place. And when we read the scriptures and that they're supposed to dwell in our hearts, they're supposed to live there. Meaning it's not just this casual inquirer. It's more like the Amazon box that comes to the front door. You don't wait to bring that inside. You don't leave it out for the weather to damage it. You bring it inside, you put it on the counter, you open that thing immediately because there's a reason that it arrived. There's intent, there's purpose. There's a reason for its existence and you're excited for it. And when the word of Christ is to richly dwell inside of us, we've got to remember that Jesus God himself, the living word came with intent and came with purpose. Not that we would be passive. Oh, but that we would be passionate pursuers of the message of Jesus and that it would richly dwell in us, that it would impact everything that we're doing, the very attitude, the very mind, the very thought the least of which is that it would shape and change how you look at your life and rather than grumbling about your situation you would thank God that you'd be filled with gratitude you're single today you don't want to be great you get to thank God today you're in a challenging situation. Your marriage is in a, in a tough spot. Guess what? Today you get, you get to take your emotions and reel them back under the kingdom rule of Jesus and you get to be thankful. You get to be filled with gratitude. You've got a difficult relationship, something that's causing you stress, it's causing you pain? Probably do. But rather than bemoaning it today, you get to count it all joy. You get to be thankful in every situation and in every circumstance. That doesn't mean you're turning a blind eye to the reality of hardship in your life, but that you can thank God in the midst of it. That's the kind of people that God has called us to be. When I think about my future self and I hope I'm grateful, it's not a pipe dream. Being thankful starts today. It starts right now.